Happy Tuesday! My name's Nick, and welcome into the dungeon. This week we find ourselves back in the heart of Phandalin, nestled amidst the modest cobblestone streets at the residence of Harbin Wester, the pompous and rotund banker who has somehow managed to secure the title of Townmaster. As we know by now, his home is an incongruous sight amongst the simpler abodes of the townsfolk, his walls adorned with elaborate and over-the-top decorations which scream of wealth and excess. Gaudy tapestries adorn the walls, and the furniture is all carved from the finest woods with ornate designs which seems out of place in this modest town. The room in which Harbin West is currently ensconced with his two guards, the testament to his love for extravagance, features a grandiose fireplace, an opulent chandelier suspended from the high ceiling, and plush velvet drapes that billow in the breeze of an open window. Despite the lavishness, the room feels stifling and uncomfortable, testament to the banker's inability to understand the needs and desires of the simple townfolk he is meant to serve. As we know, Harbin himself is a middle-aged man, portly and balding with a meticulously groomed moustache that he often strokes in moments of pompous contemplation. He is dressed in an extravagant robe, lined with fur that is more suited to a royal court than a humble town like Phandalin. Atop his head sits the hat of wizardry given to him by Shrew. His face carries an air of condescension, as if the very act of being in the presence of commoners is beneath him. The two guards flanking him are a stark contrast to their master. These are weathered men from Neverwinter, loyal and dedicated to their duty. Their piercing eyes constantly scan the room for any potential threats. As Harbin Wester speaks to his guards, a sense of urgency tinges his pompous tone. Shrew, that halfling druid brought me troubling news today. He huffs and adjusts his spectacles with exaggerated care. It seems that there's talk of an impending orc attack on Phandalin. The townsfolk are already packing up and preparing to flee to Axholm. The guards exchange concerned glances before speaking up. Harbin, Axholm is two days' journey from here. We'd be sitting ducks in a slow-moving caravan. What's more, there's no guarantee that Axon was safe either. I fear we'd be served up to the dragon, or even orcs, on a plate, ripe for the picking. The other guard nods in agreement, his expression grave. It is a perilous path, and we surely can't ensure the safety of townsfolk on such a journey. We'd be risking all their lives. Harmin sighs, clearly conflicted between his desire for personal safety and the well-being of the townsfolk he's meant to protect. He spends some time stroking his moustache deep in thought. <sighs> he are right. We cannot take that risk. Thalander, order the people to stay put and remain vigilant. Every able-bodied person must bear arms at all times and be ready for danger. The two guards nod in approval, as does Thalander, as almost a sense of relief waves over them, seeing that their master has made what seems to them a sensible choice for the safety of Fandolin. It was clear that in this moment at least, Harbin Wester's put aside his pompous pretensions and recognized the gravity of the situation. For the fate of Phandalin rests on their collective shoulders and they are determined to defend this home, no matter the cost. We now find ourselves inside the Stonehill Inn, where the atmosphere is cozy and inviting. The flickering flames of the hearth cast a warm golden glow over the polished wooden tables and the aroma of hearty stew wafts through the air. 
The tavern tonight is alive with activity, with locals sharing tales over mugs of ale and travellers seeking refuge from a cold winter's night. Dazzler and Norbus sit at a corner table, nursing their tankards of ale as they speak in hushed tones, disappointment and disbelief etched on their faces. Aira, can't believe Shuru's gone off on another one of those blasted adventures without us, grumbles Dazzlin, his bushy beard quivering with indignation. Norbus nods in agreement. Aye, and again he didn't even leave a note. He just up and vanished. As they lament Shuru's absence, their attention is drawn to a nearby table, where a wood elf and a human sit in deep conversation. The human sports short black hair, a long black beard and tanned skin, and he wears a green cloak carrying a gleaming scimitar at his side. The wood elf with graceful features and a serene demeanour listens attentively to the human's words. Dazzler and Norbus recognise them immediately as Harlia's men, Nessus and Darkul. Unable to contain their curiosity, the dwarves abruptly approach the table. Oi, Nessus, Darkul! Dazzler grunts, slapping a meaty hand on the table. We overheard you talking about Axholm. Hey, we be wanting to join you on that journey. Nessus arches an eyebrow. His elven eyes are praising the dwarves as he looks them up and down. Why would you want to come with us? It is a perilous journey. Norbus undeterred speaks up. We're archaeologists. We know stories of Axon, tales that could assist you in your quest. Tarkul exchanges a skeptical glance with Nasus. We're not babysitters for hire. We're heading off to find out if Axon is safe to evacuate the town there on Halia's orders. Here we must insist, it is of dwarven heritage. Who else here knows anything more about dwarven ruins than good old Dazzlin and I? We could be of great assistance and oh, no need to worry, we can hold ourselves up in a good fight. Uh, Shrew would speak very kindly of us. Darkle again exchanges skeptical glances with Nasus as Dazzling and Norbus continue to argue their case. Fine, but don't expect us to slow down for you. And we won't be held accountable for anything that happens to you on this trip. Dazzle and Norbus grin, their stout hearts filled with determination. <laughs> it's a deal! We're coming with you. You won't regret it. Nasus and Darkul sigh as they reluctantly agree. I'll meet us at the exchange at dawn's first light. Don't be late, or we'll be living without you. With a nod of understanding, the dwarves return to their table, with a newfound sense of purpose filling their hearts. Tomorrow their journey to Axon will begin and they will be determined to make their mark on the expedition, come what may. Several days later, amidst the biting chill of this winter's evening, few miles outside of Fandolin, Yarguff, an imposing half-orc anchorite of Talus, stands before his band of fierce orcs. The air is filled with a sharp tang of frost, and the ground crunches beneath their heavy boots as they gather in the dim twilight. Tonight the moon hangs low in the sky, casting an eerie glow of the rugged landscape. Yarguff is a towering figure, with mottled greenish-grey skin, and a bald head adorned with ritualistic tattoos, he exudes an aura of primal power. His eyes as black as the abyss burn with fervor, and his bulging muscles ripple beneath his tattered robes. He bears the sacred symbol of Talus, etched into his flesh, and the emblem gleams with an eerie, otherworldly light in this pale moon. His voice, gruff and resonant, cuts through the cold night air as he dresses his loyal orcs. Listen well, my brethren. We're on the cusp of a great victory, and the age of the orc is upon us. With Gothfuck and Talos on our side, we cannot fail. Tonight, Thunderin falls, and we shall deliver the halfling to the Circle of Thunder, and then we march on to reclaim my spire hold. As he speaks, the orcs gather around him, their eyes filled with fierce determination. The flames from their torches flicker, 
casting grotesque shadows on the rugged faces, accentuating their primal nature. Search high and low. We have a drawing with his likeness, but be aware, he can shapeshift into animals. Those animals, though, bear a red moustache, so he will be easy to find. When he is found, and we will find him, bring him to me, and cut down anyone who stands in your way. Torch the village if need be. We'll smoke him out of his hiding place. The orcs let out a collective roar of approval. The guttural voices rise into the night sky as they pound their chests and brandish their weapons with fervor. The cold wind carries the battle cries into the distance like a haunting echo of impending doom for Vandalin. In this frozen wilderness, surrounded by the loyal and battle-hungry orcs, Yadagov stands as a harbinger of chaos and destruction. The air is charged with anticipation as the scent of burning torches hangs heavy in the air. The very ground beneath their feet seems to tremble with the promise of impending doom. Tonight, Fandolin would fall, and the orcs will stop at nothing to deliver the halfling to the Circle of Thunder. The night now descends upon Fandolin, with a heavy shroud of darkness, as ominous clouds obscure the moon and the stars, and unbeknownst to the townsfolk, a band of brutal orcs, their eyes glowing with malevolence, creep closer to the town under the cover of night. Their torches suddenly flaring to life, casting eerie and flickering shadows on the quiet streets. The first building to catch fire was Bath and Supplies, its flames illuminating the night with an infernal glow. The orcs roar with a savage delight as they advance, their crude axes and rusted weapons glinting ominously. Panic starts to grip Fandolin as its residents awake to the fiery destruction of their beloved town. But from the shadows emerge a group of brave townsfolk, wielding whatever weapons they can find. With trembling hands and resolve in their hearts, they try to resist the onslaught. Sword clashes against axe, arrows whistle through the air, and desperate cries fill the night. One orc after another falls beneath the determined blows of the townsfolk. A young burly man, his hammer a deadly instrument of defense, fells an orc with a single mighty swing, as a young woman with a steady aim takes down another with a well-placed arrow. But for every orc that falls, it seems that another emerges to take their place, as the townsfolk also begin to join the fallen. Amidst the chaos, Amidst the chaos, the townsperson finds a poster in the grass with a dead orc. He removes it and sees that it depicts a halfling with fiery red hair and a moustache, and his eyes widen in shock and realization. It was the unmistakable image of Shrew of Shrew Shrubberies who had been visiting Fandolin and preparing to take on the dragon. He now understands that the orcs are not just here for plunder, but they're here to find someone, and their brutality knows no bounds. As the battle rages on, a lone guard sprints through the chaos and bursts into the town hall. With breathless urgency, he ascends the bell tower, his heart pounding like the tolling of a death knell. His trembling hands grasp the bell's rope, and with all the strength he can muster, he begins ringing it furiously. The resounding clang echoing for the night, a desperate call to arms for the townsfolk. The town, hearing the urgent alarm, rally to defend their homes and loved ones, grabbing whatever weapons they can find. With a newfound determination, they push back against the orcs, the numbers now bolstered by the tolling bell. The battle becomes a fierce and bloody struggle, but the resilience of Fandolin's residence begins to turn the tide. As the first light of dawn breaks, the orcs realize that they are faced with a determined and relentless foe, and the true is nowhere to be seen. They thus begin to retreat, leaving behind the charred remnants of buildings and fallen bodies of both orc and townsfolk, as the town begins to cheer at the retreat. While the battle was raging on the streets of Fandolin, Harbin is back in his opulent torch-lit hall of his mansion, where he is in a state of sheer panic. His fine hands shake as he hastily tosses valuables into an ape chest, 
Gold coins clink and gems sparkle in his dim light as he frenziedly packs his belongings, his usually composed demeanor utterly shattered. Summoning his guards with a quivering voice, Harbin struggles to maintain his composure. Guards! He calls out, his voice crackling. Get a carriage ready and make haste to Neverwinter. I must meet my brother there. We need more aid, more protection from this barbaric horde. I cannot risk staying here and facing those savage orcs. We must go immediately. Make haste. Make haste. The guards exchange a concerned look. Harbin, are we to abandon the town in this time of need? We must get out. We must leave immediately. We have not. We haven't got enough strength for soldiers. And that damned halfling is nowhere near us to help us. We must go back to Neverwinter, and I will return with more guards, more men, and we will see off whatever orcs are left and the damned dragon. The guards, understanding the urgency of the situation, nod and hurriedly leave to repair a carriage. As Harbin continues to pack, Thalander returns to his room, clutching a crumpled poster he's found on the streets. He hands it to Harbin, who takes it with trembling hands and unfolds it. His eyes widen with disgust and rage as he sees the image of Shrew, his fiery red hair and moustache seeming to mock him from the parchment. Damn that halfling! Damn him! Damn him to hell! Harbin spits, his voice quivering with anger. This wretch brought the orcs upon us and now he's nowhere to be found! Cursed be his name! Get that damn carriage ready! We must leave immediately! Turning back to Thalander, Harbin's voice regains a semblance of authority. Thalander, you will rule and oversee Fandal in my absence, he declares, though still trembling with fear. I shall return with more men, with greater strength, and we will rebuild and defend the town. Make sure that the townsfolk remain vigilant and safe. As the carriage is readied outside, Harbin Wester, and his chest filled with trepidation and uncertainty, knows that he is abandoning the town that he is meant to protect. But in this moment, self-preservation takes precedence as he clings to the hope that he can return to Fandolin one day, stronger and better prepared to face whatever threats lurk in the shadows. Harbin then steps outside his residence, hands his chest to the guards who fix it to the back of the carriage, and he gets in. Make haste! Make haste! We must leave immediately! We push through the night! Understood, Harbin. As the guards pull on the reins, and the carriage starts making off, amidst the chaos that fills the streets of Fandolin and towards the tribal trail on their journey to the high road and eventually Neverwinter. They press on riding through the night for several hours outside of Fandolin now. I'm gonna make a perception check for the guards with disadvantage as they're rushing along the tribal trail. Suddenly the carriage comes to an abrupt stop as they find themselves almost crashing into a tree that's blocking the path ahead of them. What are you doing? What are you doing? We must carry on. We cannot afford to stop. What on earth is going on out there? There's something blocking the road, Harbin. I think we, we'll have to clear it before we continue. This carriage isn't meant to go off-road. Well, be quick! Be quick! We must go immediately! What if there's more orcs out here? Move the damn tree or whatever it is blocking the road, and let's make haste! We must leave immediately towards Neverwinter. Now! As one of the guards dismounts the carriage and starts dragging the small tree that's blocking the road. A couple of arrows whiz past him. It's an ambush! We must get out of here! Protect Harbin! Get the carriage moving! Forget the tree! Go off-road! As he runs and jumps back into the carriage, grabbing the reins, placing his hand cautiously on the hilt of his sword. As the carriage leaves the tribal trail and starts bumping and rocking and shaking all over the place, over the rough terrain, a horn is sounded 
as further arrows make their way towards the carriage. None making their mark, but land worryingly close. I'm gonna make a I'm gonna make an animal handling check for the guards. The horses panic, with the arrows almost meeting their mark, and the carriage rocking and shaking from side to side. The guard manages just about to get the horses under control, but in their haste, the chest fixed to the back of the carriage dislodges and falls to the ground. Their assailants seemingly give off chase, intrigued by the spoils of this ambush, as they forget about the carriage and now fix their attention on this chest. Arben and his men continue on their way through the night as dawn breaks. Arben's carriage continues on its way down the tribal trail as they push through the exhaustion, their nerves and their anxiety. Soon enough they come to the crossing between the high road and the tribal trail, just as the sun begins its descent into the Sea of Swords. Arben, we can't carry on. We're going to have to find a suitable place to make camp. I suppose you're right. If we're attacked again on the road, where you're going to be of no use. We should make somewhere safe to stop. Yes, yes, find somewhere safe immediately. Let's pitch a tent, and you two, keep watch. The guards spend some time and find a small clearing in between some trees just off the road, placed not too far from where shrew shrubberies had once made camp. Harbin retreats to his tent for the night, along with one of the guards, whilst the other stands watch, his tired and weary eyes anxiously scouring his surroundings. Gonna make a perception check for the guard. And so on this frigid winter's night, just off the high road, in Harbin's camp, nestled in the dark and gnarled woods, they find themselves unknowingly besieged by a band of cunning goblins. The moon again tonight hangs low, casting an eerie glow upon the desolate landscape as frost-covered trees whisper their secrets in the bitter wind. These goblins with their mottled green skin and grotesque features move stealthily through the underbrush, their beady yellow eyes gleaming with malevolence as they close in on their unsuspecting prey. Armed with crude weapons, they are the very embodiment of chaos and treachery. Within this makeshift camp, Arbin Wester is cowering inside his tent, trembling in fear as he is unable to go to sleep. I'm going to roll for initiative, although the goblins will be having a surprise round as the guard standing watch has failed his perception check. As the goblins emerge from the shadows, the guard's eyes open wide in disbelief, terror and panic gripping him as he reaches for his sword. Before he's able to shout out to his companions, the goblins unleash a volley of arrows. Of the five shots fired, only one makes its mark, dealing the guard four points of damage. It's now over to the first of the five goblins as the initiative order starts proper. He draws another arrow from his quiver, notches it, lets loose. This one pierces into the tent, missing its mark. It's now over to the guard standing watch. We're under attack! Grab your arms! Join me out here! <sighs> goblins! As he draws his sword and takes cover behind the carriage, it's now over to the second goblin, and using a torch, he sets an arrow on fire, notches it, and unleashes it towards the tent. It's a natural 20. The arrow makes its mark, and the tent begins to catch a light. It's now over to Harbin, who's cowering inside the tent. What do you mean, an ambush? <gasps> the tent is on fire! You, get out there! Defend me! As he starts shoving the other guard outside the tent. It's now to the third goblin. Seeing this new guard emerge, he rushes up to him, scimitar in hand now, and tries to slash at him. His blade bites into the leg of this guard, dealing him a total of four damage. 
Incidentally, it's now that god's turn. And drawing his sword, he tries to return the favour on the goblin, swinging his sword down with all his might with both hands. Unfortunately, the goblin is too nimble as the blade whisks past him. It's now over to the fourth and fifth goblins, and seeing this hand-to-hand -hand combat, and seeing the tent ablaze, one rushes to the entrance of the tent, whereas the other engages in hand-to-hand -hand combat with the guard facing off with his companion, gaining advantage in the attack by flanking him. Using the flanking to his advantage, he slashes his back with the scimitar, dealing a total of six damage. The guard cries out in pain, collapsing to one knee, the grip on his sword weakening as his hands start to tremble and a cold mist forms at his mouth as he starts breathing heavily. It's now over to the first goblin, who saw the guard hide behind the wagon. He rushes up to him, scimitar in hand as well, and attacks him with his scimitar. The guard notices just in time and manages to duck as the blade cuts into the wooden frame of the carriage. It's now to this guard, who seeks to make the most of this opportunity and tries to plunge his blade into the chest of the goblin. His aim is true and the sword makes contact, dealing a total of six damage. This goblin shrieks out in pain, drops his scimitar and clutches his chest where a large gaping wound has been left. Blood starts to form at his mouth as he spits on the floor and starts breathing very heavily. It's now over to the second goblin, the one whose arrow had missed the mark and pierced the tent. Seeing the second guard breathing heavily and down on one knee, he takes aim with his bow and finds his mark, dealing him another four points of damage, resulting in the guard falling to the ground, his life slipping away with a final gasp as the snow-covered ground is stained with his blood. It's now to Harbin, who remains inside his tent, peeking for an opening, paralyzed by terror as one of his protectors falls. He knows now that his own life hangs by a precarious thread. He nervously surveys the battle, his eyes fixated now on the carriage as he's trying to calculate whether he can make a run for it. But he suddenly notices those two goblins standing over his fallen guard and which see him peeking through. He retreats back into the tent, a quivering mess. It's now over to the two goblins that stand over the fallen guard. One joins the goblin stood at the entrance to this tent and bursts in rushing towards Harbin, who's going to try and grapple him. That was quite the close contest, with the goblin rolling a total of seven, and Harbin rolling a total of five, as he's now grappled in terror by this goblin. The other goblin that was stood next to him, over the fallen guard, rushes to his companion's aid, the one that has been run through by the other guard's blade. He's going to try and slash him with his scimitar. The guard sees the blade coming, and deflects it away with the broadside of his sword. It's now to the fourth goblin, the one who had initially rushed towards the tent, and he runs in and also tries to grapple Harbin. He too manages to grab hold of the pompous townmaster. The fifth goblin, having heard one of his companions scream and the sound of steel on steel, rushes to the other two goblins' aid. He stands a short distance away, takes careful aim as he draws his bow, his arrow meeting its mark dealing a total of five damage to the guard. The guard grunts and snaps the arrow that's been embedded in his chest as he readies himself for another attack from the goblins, determined to die standing and fighting for what he believes in. It's now back to the top of the round, and that goblin, who had been run through and dropped his scimitar, draws a dagger from his ankle and tries to stab the guard. It's a critical failure. As he tries to stab him in his weakened state, the dagger slips from his fingers and falls to the snowy ground. It's now back over to the remaining guard. Seeing this opportunity, 
he swings the sword above his head and brings it down with great ferocity as he cuts the goblin's head clean off, its blood gushing and staining the ground with its blood. It's now over to the other goblin that stood in front of him. And seeing his ally's head lopped clean off, loses his composure and wildly swings his scimitar, completely missing, catching only the cold air of this winter's night. Inside the tent, Harbin's screams echo throughout the night as he tries to wrestle free from the grapples of these goblins. Unfortunately, he's unable to do so, as these goblins latch on, tighter, sniggering as they do. The goblin who had hit the guard with the arrow takes careful aim again, pulls the bow up, with his arrow again finding its mark, this time embedding itself into the right shoulder of the guard, for a maximum total of 8 damage. As the arrow finds its target, it throws the guard off balance, sending him spinning and tumbling to the ground as he draws his last breath. The goblins let out a cheer and rush towards the tent, where they see Harbin being grappled by two goblins. Harbin, now paralyzed by terror, feels desperation completely overtake himself as he wets his trousers. He starts crying and pleading, Please, 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 please. I have gold. I have lots of gold. I can pay you. I'll pay you for my life. Please, spare me. I'm the town master of Har. I'm the town master of Fandolin. Please, you must spare me. I have gold, gems. I can assist you. The goblins snigger and drag him kicking and screaming into the shadows of the foreboding forest as the goblins retreat into the forest with their prize. A mysterious cloaked figure steps out from the darkness, his face obscured by a hood casting deep shadows over his features, making them inscrutable. His gaze bears into Harbin, assessing him with an enigmatic intensity before turning to the goblins in a silent, eerie exchange. The stranger nods and toffs a hefty coin purse into the goblin's filthy hands. Gold, it seems, is the price for Harbin's life. I'm gonna roll a perception check for Harbin. In his panicked state, he cocks his head slightly. You! I know, I've seen you! I, I've seen you! Why, why would you do this? Gag him. Take him away. And in that order, the goblins put a sack over Harbin's head and start dragging him deeper into the forest. We now find ourselves back in Fandolin. In the wake of the brutal orc attack, where the town has been left in chaos and disarray, with the first light of dawn following the ferocious battle, casts a solemn pallor over the wounded and destruction that has befallen the town. Harlia Thornton is seen rallying her men to assist the wounded. They work alongside Adabra, who bustles about with a determined grace, administering salves and potions to those in need. The air is thick with the pungent smell of death and herbs and a low hum of prayers of healing can be heard, creating a symphony with the mourns of loss. The townsfolk can be seen gathered with grim determination as they begin to mend the ruined buildings. A group of them can be seen taking the fallen orcs, their grotesque forms cold and lifeless, and severing their heads with steely resolve. The sickening sounds of blade against bone are accompanied by muttered curses and grim satisfaction, as orc heads are mounted on pikes, forming a gruesome warning to any who would dare threaten Fandolin again. Meanwhile, others in town are turning their attention to the wounded, tending to injuries with makeshift bandages and poultices. Compassion and unity prevail as neighbor helps neighbor, bridging the gap between races and backgrounds in the face of adversity. As the sun begins to climb higher into the sky, some townsfolk begin the arduous task of clearing the streets and gathering the fallen. The sounds of boards hammering into place, patching windows, and slowly erasing the scars of the orc attack. 
The sound of hammers and saws now fills the air, a testament to Fandlin's resilience. Amidst this bustling activity, a group of townsfolk gather, their faces etched with worry and anger. They are discussing the posters that have been found, and are blaming and speculating that True the Halfling is responsible for bringing the attack to Fandlin's door as they came in search of him. Their voices are filled with frustration and anger, seeking to hold somebody accountable for the violence that has befallen their town. As she finishes tending to the wounded, Harlia summons two of her loyal men and storms into the town hall. Her presence as imposing as ever as a fiery gaze sweeps the room in search of answers. Inside she is met by the sight of Thalander, displaying evidence of having seen more than his fair share of the battle, as he stands there covered in bloodstains with his armour tarnished and exhaustion etched into the lines of his face. He displays an air of weary determination, a temporary leader in this time of crisis. Harlia, <coughs> what brings you here? Harlia's piercing eyes locks onto Thalander, and her voice carries a note of urgency as she demands. Where is the pompous and cowardly fool Harbin Wester? We need him in this time of crisis. He is the town master and he is nowhere to be seen. I am going to bring him to account for his cowardice in the face of danger. Where is he? Answer me at once. Thalander meets her gaze with a sense of resignation, his own frustration simmering beneath his exhaustion. Harbin has gone to Neverwinter. <coughs> his tone is tense. He seeks reinforcements. And he intends to meet his brother. He has left me in charge. He replies. Harlia's eyes blaze with anger. A coward, as expected. We cannot rely on him any longer, Thalander. Vandalin needs a proper militia to defend against future threats. We must act swiftly. Thalander nods in agreement, his fatigue momentarily forgotten, as the weight of the responsibility thrust upon him settles on his shoulders. You're right, Harlia. I'll gather the able-bodied townsfolk, arm them, form a militia. Fandolin will be prepared for whatever comes next. They share a resolute nod, the two understanding that their town's survival depends on their swift and decisive action. Harley then bids farewell, turns away, leaving the town hall to return to her miner's exchange with the two men who are diligently waiting outside the town hall for her. Harley and her men return to the miner's exchange, where the atmosphere inside is tense. Miners and traders are trying to go about their business, but talking very anxiously amongst themselves. In manning the mines, now not only with the dragon, but also the orc threat, as the shadow of last night's events loom large on their minds. Halia beckons her men to sit with her at a corner table out of sight, the faces reflecting the grim seriousness of the situation. They exchange knowing glances before Halia speaks, her voice low and concerned. Listen, she begins leaning in closer. I'm growing increasingly worried, darlings. There's been no word from Nessus and Darkrum. I sent them to Axholm a few days ago. We haven't heard back from those dwarven archaeologists either who accompanied them. They should have returned days ago. Her men exchange uneasy glances. Understanding the implications of Harlia's words, she continues, her brow furrowing with concern. This silence isn't settling. Could mean many things. But I fear none of them are good. Breck, Lyria, I'm sorry, darlings, but I need you to go to Axholm and find out what's happened. Lyria nods, his eyes determined. Of course, Harlia. We'll leave immediately. Do be vigilant on the road. We can't rule out the possibility of lingering orcs. Or worse yet, that dragon. Breck chimes in with a determined nod. We will tread carefully, Harlia. We will bring answers back. And so the duo begin to make the preparations to depart for Axum as the unease in the miners' exchange lingers. The fates 
of Nessus, Darkul, Dazzling and Norbus, weighing heavily on their minds, as does the danger which lays before them on the road ahead. Breck and Lyria gather her equipment and swiftly embark on the journey from Fandalin to Axon, determined to find answers about the missing companions, the two dwarves, and the growing unease in the region. It's now a cold winter's evening, and the chill in the air cuts at the bone. The fast-fading light of day casts long eerie shadows of the snow-covered landscape. As they press ahead through the night, the forest around them is shrouded in darkness. The only sounds are the crunch of their boots in the snow and the distant howling of the wind. The path ahead them is treacherous, but the resolve carries them forward. Through the wintry landscape towards Axholm, amidst the silence of the night, their footsteps continue to crunch in the snow. Breck, his face etched with worry, breaks the silence first. Did you ever think we'd be out to here alone like this, Lyria? Vandalin used to be such a peaceful place. Lyria nods, his expression mirroring his concern. I never thought I would see the day. The rumours about the orc attack being the fault of that shrew are most unsettling. It's hard to believe he would bring such danger to our doorstep. Halia seems to trust him, or at least have some use in Tedur of him. I worry as well about Nasus and Darkul. They should have been back from Axon by now. I can't help but curse the names for leaving us in this situation. If they are in trouble, what good are we going to be? They were Halia's two best men. Lyria agrees, his voice tinged with irritation. Aye, they should have returned with answers. Instead, we're the ones forced to seek them out in the cold and the dark unknown. The weight of their words hangs heavily in the cold air, a testament to the uncertainty and danger that has now taken root in their lives. The hours continue to pass, and the landscape begins to change. In the distance, they see the unmistakable silhouette of Axholm, a dwarven fortress thrusting out from the base of the dark grey mountain, its ancient stone walls an imposing testament to dwarven craftsmanship. I'm going to roll for perception for both Lyria and Breck as they begin to make their final ascent towards Axon. The journey takes an unexpected turn, as Breck's gaze turns to meet with an ogre and two orcs rushing towards them. The ogre is a towering brute, its massive frame covered in mottled grey-green skin, standing at least ten feet tall, with bulging muscles and a hulking belly. His broad tusk face contorts into a twisted grin, revealing rows of jagged teeth as he leads a charge with two orcs flanking him. The orcs are smaller but no less menacing, their eyes glinting with malicious intent as they brandish crude battle axes, ready to engage in violence. Lyria, draw your weapon! Breck and Lyria's hearts race as they lock eyes into the menacing trio and draw their weapons, preparing to defend themselves against the formidable foes that stand before them. The silence of the night then erupts into chaos as a ferocious battle begins. Breck and Lyria exchange blows with their assailants, the clash of weapons and cries of pain echoing through the frozen air. But despite the ferocity of the fight, the sides seem evenly matched, and as yet no one falls in these frantic moments. But just as it seems that this deadly battle might be their greatest challenge, this close to their objective, at the foot of Axum, a sudden and bone-chilling shiver engulfs them all. From above, a deafening roar fills the night, as the white dragon circles menacingly in the sky. What the fuck is that? The fucking dragon! Damn those dwarves! Damn Nasus! Damn Narkul! The dragon then descends with terrifying speed, its massive wingspan casting a shadow even in the dark of night that envelops them all. Breck, Lyria, and their foes feel a visceral fear as they look up, their hearts pounding in their chest. The dragon's scales gleam a frigid bluish white as its eyes burn with an otherworldly intensity. They all just stand there in fear and in awe of this ferocious beast. 
Brackett's voice shaking and urgent, manages to croak out. By the gods, Lyria! We need... We need to move! We need to get out of here! Lyria, his eyes wide open with terror, replies in a voice choked with fear. I... I can't. I'm frozen, Breck. What do we do? What do we do? The dragon's chilling presence bears down on them all, and in this heart-pounding moment, panic overwhelms them all. As Ogre, Orc, Lyria and Breck exchange anxious glances as they come to the harrowing realization that in the face of such primal power, their strength is insignificant. Their strength is insignificant. Before they can react, the dragon opens its maws and lets out a horrific roar that reverberates around them as a blue orb forms at its mouth and it unleashes its icy breath. A torrent of freezing air that crystallizes the very ground beneath them as they all freeze where they stand and the life source abandons them. As they all stand now as frozen shells of who they once were, their faces contorted in terror and panic as they realize that their time on Faerun has come to this gruesome end. The dragon circles them once more, its piercing eyes locking onto their frozen forms. It knows that they will draw breath no more, and then with a powerful beat of its wings, it ascends into the night, vanishing into the darkness as it heads back towards Icebire Peak. And that's where we're going to call it a session. I hope you've enjoyed tonight's episode. Been flying solo again tonight, but not because Al is ill. It was more a creative decision that we took, given that True has left Fandolin and not really had an opportunity to see or hear from the townsfolk. So we thought it was important to tie up some loose ends in Fandolin just in case True doesn't return and to give you, our loyal listeners, a glimpse of what happened on that fateful night or the Orc Raid, what has befallen Harbin Wester, the town master and coward of Fandolin. But if you want to hear us talk a little more about tonight's episode, head on over to www.i2td.com and follow the link there to our Buy Me A Coffee page, where you can get access as one of our membership tiers to exclusive bonus episodes where we discuss the session that's just been played. Usually we would record this straight after the session, but on this occasion we'll record it when Al is with me as well and he's had a chance to listen to the episode so we can discuss it in more depth. Whilst you're at Buy Me A Coffee, you can also make a donation to the podcast by purchasing us a potion, which will appear in-game. Or you can visit our store, where you can purchase one-off magical items, things like scrolls, weapons, armor, potions. And these will appear in-game, and it's an opportunity for you to join us in the stories we tell and influence the adventures we play. And if you don't want to or kind of donate or join one of the membership tiers, but would still like to help out the podcast, you can certainly do so by liking, sharing, commenting, rating us on your podcast player of choice, following us, or if you're one of the ones that listen to us on YouTube, by subscribing to our channel. And so this brings us on to the end of the episode club, the last one standing. Use the password we give you in a comment, be it on social media or on our Discord channel, or wherever you listen to our podcast. And in doing so, you can compete for the esteemed title of the Guillaume Svrada. And today's password is Loose Ends as we try to tie up some loose ends in the story, now that we're approaching the home straight, as she is about to imminently embark on the ascent of Ice by Peak to face off with the dragon. And so that's all for tonight. We'd like to thank you again for listening in to our episodes, and we sincerely hope you enjoyed this different episode, and that you join us next week as we return to Shrew Shrubberies and prepare to delve into the dungeon. <laughs>